0: Hey, everyone, and thanks for listening. Today, I'm speaking with Kian Katan-Farouche, CEO and co-founder of WorkEra, a skills intelligence platform that's raised $21 in funding. Kian, thanks for chatting with me today. Thank you for having me, Brett, and excited to chat with you. Yeah, no problem. So before we begin talking about what you're building at WorkEra, let's start with a quick summary of who you are and a bit more about your background. Yeah,
1: for sure. I'm Kian katan I'm the CEO and co-founder of Workera. I'm also a lecturer in the Department of Computer Science at Stanford University, where my focus is essentially on deep learning. And prior to that, I worked closely with uh, Andrew Eng, who is the co-founder of Coursera and a professor at Stanford as well. And I joined him in starting a company called DeepLearning.ai. Uh, we were focused on democratizing access to AI education. And together, we taught AI to over 3 million people around the globe. The primary feedback we were receiving from learners and organizations sponsoring the classes uh, is that there's no shortage of educational content. There's a notion of it now. And the limiting factor to develop a career is not content anymore. It's understanding skills and what skills do we have? What skills do we not have? What skills do we need for next year to achieve our goals? And so it's really a, a measurement and mentorship problem that is arising in education. And this led to the creation of Workera, which you mentioned is a skills intelligence company. Amazing. And can you talk us through what's the state of
0: AI technology
1: today? Well, I feel that, you know, it changes every day. Like if you look at what happened uh, a few weeks ago with the chat GPT, you know, the story I would tell now is very different from the one I would tell a month ago. But the state of AI is essentially we have a lot more compute than before. We have a lot more data being generated than before, not only uh, general data like text that are used to train these language models, but also extremely niche data that are solving very complex problems in the enterprise. And so a lot of people are pondering all day long over these problems. Enterprises are still hiring AI scientists and engineers. And there's an incredible shortage across the globe on AI skills, whether it is top practitioner skill building systems or literacy, fluency of AI uh, that is required now to collaborate with technical teams.
0: Yeah, I've never seen anything go so viral like this chat GPT stuff. It was crazy. Even my mom was sharing it and asking me about it.
1: Well, 1 million user within five days, I think. Unheard of, yeah.
0: (laughs) Now, a couple of questions we'd like to ask just to better understand what makes you tick as a founder and entrepreneur. What CEO do you admire the most and what do you admire about them? Man, there are so many, but I would choose...
1: Uh, Satya Nadella, the chairman and CEO of Microsoft. I'd say I particularly look up to Satya Nadella for a few reasons. First, he comes from the world of enterprise. He was the VP of cloud and enterprise group at Microsoft, which is the primary segment that my company work here serves. And so there's a lot we learn from him and, and his methods. But most importantly, I think it's his eighth year as CEO of Microsoft, and he just completely reorchestrated a cultural shift there by introducing more empathy, more growth mindset and collaboration and i feel like the corporate culture that we remember from microsoft has changed into one of continual learning and growth and i love that so, you know my work is in education i'm i'm a passionate educator and and hope to be all my life a lifelong learner and and i love to see how someone manages to orchestrate a change at the scale of a giant company where now it's more of a learn it all approach uh, compared to a know it all approach
0: that traditionally microsoft had Nice. I love that. And what about books? What book has had the greatest impact on you as a founder? And this can be a business book or a personal book that just really influenced how you view the world.
1: On the business side, I would say there are two. There's probably no rules, rules. The Netflix working culture book, Reed Hastings and Erin Mayer. And I love the insights on high talent density, how they run a company like a professional sports team, not a family, how they lead with context, how they manage to reduce the number of controls on their employees and empower freedom. I love these ideas. You know, on the management side, High Output Management from Andy Grove was my first management book. And I, I love it. And I still go back to it sometimes. And then I would say on the personal book, I'm a sci-fi aficionado. So I love the three-body problem uh, from Si Chin Liu and, and pushes me to think bigger. I don't want to spoil the story, but it's mind-blowing. So I would recommend it to anyone who likes to think big, uh, visionaries, and, and who likes sci-fi.
0: No, I've not read any sci-fi books yet, but people keep coming on the podcast and saying that I should. So is that the number one book you recommend starting with?
1: Yeah, three body problem. It's a trilogy, but you can start with the first one, and if you like it, you can decide to, to read the two others.
0: Uh, All right, sounds good. Well, you're gonna have an angry neighbor if it's uh, if it's not a good book. <laughs> right. <laughs> <laughs> Perfect. Now let's uh, let's switch gears and let's talk about work era, and let's uh, let's go a little bit deeper into the origin story. Can you take me back to the early days of the company?
1: Yeah. So, you know, as I said, the reality is we were looking at this ocean of content that is emerging with people around the world telling us, you know, students who are taking my Stanford classes, but not being at Stanford on YouTube, They, I would ask them, what's the difference between you and a Stanford student? And they would say, we have access to the same courses. So that's not the difference. The real difference is we are not surrounded by mentors that can evaluate us, guide us, tell us what to learn. And that makes a huge difference. And so the question was how can we build a mentor for the world, like literally a mentor that scales at the quality of top professors in the world, not only for students, but also for employees of enterprises. And there is a field called psychometrics or the science of measurement that is super old, super rigorous, statistically heavy. And in today's world, with the data sets that we can collect, we can really go 10x beyond what has been done in psychometrics. And in fact, if you want an example, today WorkCara has a technology that can measure people around the world. We have millions of data points. And by measuring peoples around the world across you know, hundreds, thousands of skills, we understand the cross-correlation between skills. So if I know, Brett, that you can do two times two equal four, I can infer that you also can do two plus two equal four. You can probably do two minus two equal four. You may or may not be able to do square root of nine equals three, but at least based on one measurement, I can infer tens of skills around it. And so today you can measure someone on maybe 20 skills infer 200, 500 skills, which is mind blowing at a level of accuracy that is unheard of. And so this generates a lot of data in the enterprise that data is used to coach employees, give them real time feedback on what are their gaps, what are their strengths, personalized learning by choosing the right recommendation. You don't want to take a course that is covering skills you already have. You want to spend your time on the areas that match your goals for your career. Uh, You can also start matching people to projects based on their skills measurement. You can match people to mentors. You can essentially plan your workforce ahead of time at an aggregate level. And this is what we call skills intelligence. Uh, Does that make sense? Yeah, that does
0: make sense. And I'd love to zoom in there on skills intelligence. So is skills intelligence your market category or how are you thinking about market categories here? I'd say there's a
1: new category emerging called workforce intelligence, talent intelligence, skills intelligence. If you attend an HR tech or a net tech conference, everybody's talking about workforce intelligence nowadays. And, and a lot of companies are starting to rebrand solutions toward that. But the, the way really we look at ourselves in the category is there's a lot of companies that are aggregating data. So they have uh, job descriptions and resumes and course completions and other signals that may be self-reported, like performance reviews from managers or self-reviews by employees. And all of these are used to then infer the skills of an employee. But unfortunately, all this data is noisy. And so where where Keras sits is one layer below, where we are not an aggregator of data, we are a generator of accurate and granular signal that can then be used in order to coach people or mentor them. And so that's that's what we call skills intelligence really.
0: And what kind of activities are you doing to shape that category and to really try to drive that category around your perspective?
1: Yeah, we're doing all sorts of content around uh, you know what we believe is the market today, where it is going, we talk about skills inferences, we talk about skills intelligence technologies. We also provide Uh, many, many of our testing capabilities for free online for people to try it out, to test it, to give feedback. And then we also build, of course, case studies with a lot of our customers uh, so that you know other enterprises can also learn how skills intelligence have allowed players in their industry
0: to run an effective workforce. And what's the go-to-market motion look like for you then? Is this PLG or is it top-down enterprise sales or a mix of both?
1: Yeah, it's primarily top-down enterprise sales, land and expand, where we would start with a group in an enterprise and then expand rapidly toward the larger group. But there's also some early PLG where several of our customers were inbounds and they were actually users that uh, referred the product to their manager, the manager who referred it to the VP or the C-level and and then uh, created a larger expansion within the group.
0: And as you're having those sales conversations, is there a specific point that you really see an like aha moment where they just get it, their eyes light up and they really understand the value that you can bring? Yeah, yeah,
1: yeah, definitely. So the product has two sides, you know, there's the employee side and there's the admin or leader or manager side. On the employee side, it's really after you take the tests and you get all that feedback at a granular level, it's mind-blowing. It's like Wow, uh, within this you know domain, there's so many skills I was not aware of and now I can work on them and on top of that, you know workera has found the best content out there for me. so I, I don't need to think about uh, where to study and it's so granular and the granularity makes it you know meaningful like if you take a Python Python on workera is not a skill it's it's 89 skills, which is so you know granular. on the leader side or manager side, when you launch a program like that, within a month, you can expect, a, you know, almost all the employees part of the group to have completed their initial baseline. And then they're on a continuous learning plan where they're measured on a continual basis. But within a month, you get full of dashboards and insights on where are our gaps? How can we marry our hiring strategy with our upskilling strategy? How can we? coach our employees to deliver on projects? How can we match them to these projects in a quantitative manner? And so it's, it's really the aha moment when you start seeing all that data come to fruition for your enterprise. Makes a lot of
0: sense. And for shaping this category, what's your approach with analysts? Do you view firms like Gartner and Forrester as critical to these efforts? Or what are your thoughts there on analyst firms?
1: Yeah, we have not engaged with Gartner and Forrester quite yet. I think they're important ones, especially in the enterprise segment. We are on G2. We have uh, reviews on G2, very positive ones. I think next year will be a good time to start engaging. And, and I feel that the market category, workforce intelligence, is still emerging, but it's emerging very rapidly. If you look at some of the top analysts in HR tech, George Persin, Red Thread, they're
0: talking more and more about workforce intelligence today. Makes a lot of sense. And looking at the website, you have some really impressive logos. You have Merck, you have Samsung, you have Accenture. What was it like landing those logos? And you know, as a startup, it's always very tricky from a trust and credibility perspective to get these big name brands to trust you and to take a chance on you. So, what did you do right? You know, what did you get right that really allowed them or you know, made them feel comfortable enough to to make that bet that what you or your platform can do is possible?
1: Yeah, yeah, that's a great question. We're you know, Just context, we're serving roughly two dozen enterprises. We're a very horizontal business. Uh, we serve every major industry. And what we did right, I think, is we nailed down the pain point. When you're a VP or a C-level there, and you have tens of thousands of employees under you, you have no idea what skills you have in-house. You have no vocabulary around skills. You have no standardization. And so WorkHero just makes sense. We provide you the ontology that can map to your strategic initiatives and projects. And then I'd say there's a few things that we did right, including, you know, meeting all the highest psychometric standards. It is really easy to build a, a quiz that is not valid, but it's really hard to build a psychometrically sound assessment. And so when you come and you demo a platform that has all these standards met, it's inherently enterprise grade. We also have all the integration capabilities that are expected in the enterprise. We, we pull data, we push data, we integrate with their ecosystem, with their HRIS, with their LMS, with their LXP, all their talent ecosystem and learning ecosystem, if you will. And we also pass all the security grades, which help in the enterprise SOC too, and so on. And then what else comes to mind, I I would also say that, you know, for some of the industries we serve, like financial services, we are able to uh, meet all these requirements. And the first one was painful, but now that we've done all the work to meet them, it's much easier to appeal to other enterprises and scale and expand within those enterprises.
0: And for Workera, you know, who is it displacing or who is it disrupting? Like what does the status quo look like for your customers if they're not using you? Are they just using, you know, internal systems? Is there a legacy provider who's controlled the market for a long time? What does that look like? Like who owns the line item today? Or is there no line item for something like this yet?
1: Yeah, there is no. We're not replacing anything per se. I would say the situation is. Typically enterprises over the last 10 years have bought a lot of content. They may have bought Coursera, Udemy, LinkedIn learning, a mix of them usually. And they're seeing that content sitting underutilized because employees are saying, you know, my manager gave me a course that is too easy or too hard for me, or it's not relevant, or there's too many courses in that platform. I don't know where to start. And so you want to make the most out of this content and you need an objective measurement layer. And so your only option today without Workera, is typically to refer to a large professional services firm that will come, will send you an army of consultants, may may help you understand and produce a PowerPoint that tells you what your workforce is and where it will be. But our solution is kind of revolutionizing that aspect of workforce intelligence, where you can you can get a software solution that scales across as many people as you want in the enterprise. Uh, it's a continuous pulse over your capabilities, and so it sits really in the middle of your talent ecosystem, pushing the data that can increase the engagement of other systems.
0: And do you just plan to continue to go deeper and deeper into enterprise, or would you eventually go down market and go to mid-market and SMBs?
1: Yeah, that's a good question. Next year, we'll be highly focused on enterprise. We do have new features that are going to come and potentially a team plan coming out toward the end of next year or the year after in order to allow either managers in enterprises to, to use Workera for their teams or SMBs mid-market to start leveraging our systems. Nice. Very cool.
0: And I know we touched on that at the start about you know, the state of AI, but I'd love to talk about the state of buzz and hype. Every startup these days seems to have .ai on their domain. And I, I see you have that as well. And that's you know become kind of standard practice, I think, with a lot of companies. And I imagine it's very hard to stand out with all of that noise around AI and what's possible. Surely your background has to help there and you have a lot of credibility in AI, but how do you separate what you're doing from all of the buzz and hype and you know market abuse that is happening with AI in general?
1: Yeah, I mean, the, the, it's inevitable when you have a, you know, I was looking when generative AI became trendy this year, you were seeing all the startups that were branded NLP to rebrand generative AI, which is interesting. But I understand it. I just think that when evaluating a startup or a solution, or you want to make sure that you understand what data it's been trained on and what measures have been used to evaluate the model. And that's really you know what AI is. But you can call pretty much anything AI from a linear regression to a hardcore transformer architecture model. I don't think uh, you're fancier if you use a transformer than if you use a linear regression. I'm particularly excited about AI applications that are more niche. I think that uh, some of the big companies have done a great job for more general applications like ChatGPT, and that will help the community heavily. But when you look at niche applications, it's very interesting to see when they claim that they're doing AI, what data do they have? Do they have any data that is proprietary that nobody else has? Because if they do, you know, you know, the say crap data in crap data out. Well, the reverse is very true as well. If you have a unique data set that nobody else has, you, you can build a model that will create unique outputs. And so to me, more than the buzzword AI is, is the most important is what data is behind the scene and what application is it uh, leveraging?
0: And is there a, like a framework or a set of questions that someone should ask if they're trying to evaluate if the AI is real or if it's just, you know, being used for like a marketing buzzword? Like, let's say, for example, you know, I was going to do an angel investment in a startup. They have AI in their domain. AI is all over their website. Like What questions would I ask to make sure that it's real and make sure that, you know, it, it's something that's you know truly different and unique? Well, ask for a demo. (laughs) Ask for a
1: demo. And if they they don't have a product demo, ask for a Jupyter Notebook demo. I feel that data scientists are really capable of putting that together. And then I would look at what's the input of your model? What's the output of your model? uh, The architecture, if they're comfortable talking about it, is an interesting conversation. And then I would try to find The gaps or, you know, there's a concept called error analysis in AI, which is you look at your model and you look, where is it failing on which data points it's failing? And then you try to troubleshoot it based on what it's failing on. Well, I would think a great question to ask is, have you run rare error analysis? And what have you learned from it? And then you start knowing how, how much in depth have they measured their model or evaluated their model. You also want to make sure that the way they've measured their model has been done properly from the perspective of a training set versus a validation or a test set where they are not measuring their model on the data that was trained on. And even when you ask for the demo, they may give you a data point as input that the model has been trained on. You may want to suggest what inputs the model may take and see if the model still reacts appropriately. Nice. That's super
0: helpful, super helpful guidance for me and I think for anyone listening in and uh, helpful to cut through all the noise with AI. Last couple of questions here for you, as I'm sure you've experienced bringing an innovative idea to market is never easy. What would you say has been your greatest challenge so far and how would you overcome that challenge?
1: Mm, technology challenge, I said earlier, it's easy to build a quiz, everybody can build a quiz, but it's hard to build a rigorous assessments that meets the psychometric standards. So that's on its own a challenge that is ongoing. And we're pushing the boundaries on that front. The second piece is, I believe people are the most important assets of the company. And we've made, I've made a few hiring mistakes in the past. Getting better at it. You know, I recommend the book Hire With Your Head from Lou Adler, which is a very good one to become more rigorous around hiring, especially for some key executive roles. And today I try to get more data points. I try to uh, do more back channeling, understanding what this person has done in the past and who they worked with and what's their reputation. And also using our own product to hire, we we ask most of our hire to take the work care assessments. And so that gives us another data point. I, I've also been fortunate to bring a lot of advisors in some of the key hires and and oftentimes I, I think when I was younger, I did not realize the perspective that someone who's done it before, who's been in that role before can bring. And today, I really value that type of input before making a hiring decision. Very interesting.
0: And how important do you think it is today for a tech founder of a a fast-growing, soon-to-be unicorn? How important do you think it is to be in San Francisco or Silicon Valley?
1: First, I love Silicon Valley. I owe a
0: lot to Silicon Valley. Mm -hmm.
1: But I would say that while it is still the best place in the world, in my opinion, to start a company by far, it is other places are also catching up, meaning you can still found a company very well. And then there's plenty of examples around the world. And it's due to partly democratization of education and content. You have so much content on how to raise a seed round, how to raise an A round, how to raise a B round, which was not the case many years ago. You have the remote aspect of things which allow you to attract people. There's actually a lot of machine learning engineers if you want to build an AI systems in the Bay Area, obviously, and they're they're top-notch, but you have other hubs that have been growing, Montreal... You know, even New York, London, you find a lot of data scientists and machine learning engineers there, a lot more than before. And I would say even with the democratization of education and mentorship, uh, you have people that are extremely talented all over the world. And so per se, you do not need to have an office in San Francisco. And in fact, I would say, we're we have no office, we're completely remote, and we're in 22 countries today. And uh, San Francisco is not our biggest region anymore, which, which I think is interesting.
0: And were you tempted, though, as a founder to leave San Francisco and move to Miami, move to Austin? Or what made you choose to stay in SF?
1: The community of mentors. Uh, you know, a lot of our investors are here. A lot of my personal mentors are here. And the community, just a lot of my friends and and people I hang out with are here. And so it makes sense for me to stay here. I would also say that... Uh, uh, San Francisco is a good place to focus. Honestly, there is not as many things to do if you want uh, as, as some other places like New York or Miami, I believe. And and that allows you to stay focused on uh, on what you care about. So it depends on the, the time of your life. But I, I enjoy San Francisco nowadays.
0: Nice. Always good to hear. I feel like that's a controversial take these days. A lot of people yeah. are very anti-San Francisco. So always like hearing from those who who still believe in it.
1: <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah.
0: Now, last question here. If we zoom out into the future, what's the three-year vision for a work era? Well, first, we're developing a really a talent operating system
1: in the enterprise where my belief, and I'm I'm a super soccer fan and it's timely with the World Cup, but uh, (laughs) I don't know if you are, Brett, but (laughs) if you are a club in the British Premier League today, like Manchester City, you cannot compete unless you have analytics. And in fact, you know Pep Guardiola the manager knows perfectly what speed Riyad Mahrez goes at and and what's his best foot and what chances he has to score a goal from a certain angle they probably know all of that and they measure it every single day or every single week and i think these same concepts of running you know professional sports team with analytics is going to make it to the enterprise it's just a matter of time and we want to play a part into it and allow it to happen for the better of everyone Uh, coach people. And so this is really building the talent operating system in the enterprise. Now, you know, as we grow our clientele and we're able to bring more value to enterprises, our dream is really to build a a world where I want to say career and employment decisions are not based on personal network, but are based on skills. And in fact, today you have our freemium where a lot of people around the world are taking our tests on a weekly basis, on a daily basis, and they are able to get their feedback. And soon we hope to serve them career opportunities in the enterprises that we serve. And and so that's really a world where at any point in time, you can measure the supply and demand of skills. Uh, you can accelerate progress. If Elon Musk needs 20,000 thermodynamicists next week, we can find them because we have measurements at a global scale and we can give the opportunity to the people who are the closest skill-wise to this opportunity. And I think it will make a, a beautiful uh, a meritocracy
0: and, and we're, we're looking forward to it. <laughs> Nice. Well, that's amazing. And that's certainly an exciting vision for the future. So unfortunately, we're up on time. So we're going to have to wrap here. Before we do, if people want to follow along with your journey as you build, where's the best place for them to go? You can find me on
1: LinkedIn and connect. I also have a Twitter account, Kian Katan, and you can follow Workera and I give updates on that front as well. But thank you very much for having me, Brett.
0: Yeah, no problem. Thanks for joining us. And thanks for sharing this vision. Again, it's super exciting and look forward to seeing you execute on this vision. Thank you. All right. Keep in touch.